0: Hey, hey, everyone! Welcome back to Truth and Justice and this special Reply Brief bonus series, where I'm breaking down the coverage of the prosecutors' podcast about the Anand Ed case. Today, I'm going to dig into part three of their series. Now, these next two episodes, in my opinion, are the most critical elements of their analysis. In these two episodes, Brett and Alice break down all the events of January 13th, leading up to about 3:45 p.m. And that's the day he went missing and was presumably murdered. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, this case is not nearly as complicated as most people make it out to be, at least in regards to whether or not Adnan is innocent or guilty. I don't know when you'll be hearing this, but as I'm recording it, this week Brett and Alice concluded their series with their final theories, and they seem to have accomplished what they set out to do. They have convinced a lot of people who previously believed Adnan is innocent that he's in fact guilty. They set them up as they built their case through the first 13 episodes and then knocked them down with their closing. I keep hearing things like Occam's Razor. The simplest answer is usually, in fact, the answer. And I do agree. But the difference between what seems like a clear-cut case of Occam's Razor to me and what these people are talking about is that they think, well, Jen and Jay gave basically the same story and the cell records roughly match that story And therefore, the simplest solution has to be that Adnan killed Hay. Now, the way I see it, that's not the simplest explanation at all. Basically, the same story is not the same thing as corroborating stories. Jen saying she met up with Adnan and Jay at one mall after the burial, and Jay saying that just he and Jen met at a completely different mall, is not the same thing. Those are the types of details that you expect people to get wrong when they're not recalling actual events but actually recalling a fictional story. People forget dates and times, and oftentimes never even pay any attention to what the date and time was when things happened. But generally, people remember experiences. Jen remembering how Adnan was acting, and Jay remember Adnan not even being there, is not basically the same story. But here's where I feel like Occam's razor can be applied. The first thing any investigator should do once a suspect has been identified is to check their alibi, plain and simple. You can't be in two places at once. You just can't. So, if the evidence shows that Adnan could not have been out killing Hay after school because he was somewhere else, then Adnan is no longer a suspect. And no matter how many times Jay changes his story, and regardless if Jay's story lines up with Jen's story or what the cell tower pings show, None of that matters. It's all just noise. So my focus has always been on what should be the first step in any investigation after we narrow in on a suspect. Do they have an alibi? And I'm going to tell you right now, the way I see it, Edna never left school that afternoon. We know where he was and what he was doing, and therefore, he could not have killed Hay. That's just my opinion. As we move through Brett and Alice's analysis of the day, I'll share how I came to that conclusion. And then it will be up to you to decide what you think. I would caution anyone from drawing their conclusion based on anyone's opinion, mine included. I'll share what the evidence shows, and you decide for yourself. So let's get started on part three. The last episode ended with Hay's final diary entry on January 12th. Then we get into Adnan's call to Hay that night. It was actually in the early morning hours of the 13th. Adnan tried to call Hay at 11.27 p.m., and then 12.01 a.m., and he connects with her at around 12.30 a.m., and they talk for a minute and 24 seconds. This is when Adnan gives Hay his new phone number. Brett points out that mutual friend Becky testified at trial that Adnan told her about this call, except she says that Adnan told her Hay is the one that called him and that she wanted to get back together with him. Now, as far as what was said on the call, we have no way of knowing, but I agree with Brett that if what Becky testified to is accurate, then Adnan lied about, at the very least, who called who. And you can interpret that any way you want. Brett and let's make a pretty big deal about this in any instance where it seems like Adnan is lying. For example, they spend quite a bit of time on how close of friends Adnan and Jay are and whether or not Adnan knew Hay was dating Don, etc. I just want to point out that from my perspective, I'm sure that Adnan lied about some stuff. People lie for all sorts of reasons. It doesn't necessarily mean they're guilty of murder. Surely Adnan isn't the first teenager to be dumped and then lie to his friends about how and why the relationship ended. And surely he isn't the only suspect in a crime that lied about things that they were afraid would make them look guilty, even if they were actually innocent. Brett and Alice are adamant that Jay lies about basically everything, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't believe him on the important stuff. I think that same logic should apply across the board. And really, my position on this case or any case is that I really don't care what the accused says. There are too many variables and too many reasons to lie that have nothing to do with innocence or guilt. Like, say, lying about driving your grandmother's car to see your girlfriend. It happens. What I'm looking for is can I identify the utility in the lie, and what can be corroborated by other evidence. Other than that, I should point out, I have no skin in this game. I think this series makes a serious effort to get people to not like Adnan as a person. And maybe that's why I haven't been persuaded or moved at all by their coverage. Because liking a person or not liking them or thinking they're a liar or thinking they're a good guy or a bad guy has no bearing for me. When investigating these cases, I don't care about a person's character. I only care about the evidence and what it's telling me. I've never met Adnan. I've never spoken to Adnan. I've never exchanged a letter with Adnan. We have never once communicated ever. He's not my friend. He's not my enemy. I don't like him or dislike him. He's a name on a case file for me. I'm very passionate about this case because I'm passionate about correcting injustices. The idea of a person, any person, spending decades in prison and having their life stolen for a crime they didn't commit, that's where my passion lies. Ednon could be a complete asshole, and it wouldn't make a bit of difference to me. But anyway, I feel like that needed to be said, but I'm shooting to have my episode be actually shorter than theirs this time, so I'm going to move on. In their timeline, they include Alonzo Sellers' movements. This is part of them later eliminating him as a suspect. I'm going to try in this episode to stick to the relevant information about Adnan and Jay, so I'll just quickly summarize. Sellers clocked in to work at Coppin State College at 7.21 a.m. and out at 4 p.m. Later, this will be used as evidence to alibi him, although we know that he worked alone without supervision and definitely would leave the campus without clocking in or out. That's what he was doing when he found Hayes' body. But we'll get into all that stuff about Alonzo Sellers later. So let's move on. I'm going to try and stay focused on the parts of the timeline related to Adnan and Hay and Jay. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the parts that are not in dispute. So here we go. Krista is walking with Adnan to first-hour photography class, and she overhears Adnan ask Hay for a ride after school. Now, Krista explained this interaction on Reddit, and I've actually spoken with Krista personally, and she's been on my show. She said that she was walking with Adnan, and she overheard him ask Hay for a ride because... She says, quote, either his car was in the shop or his brother had it or something. She's not exactly clear what the reason was, but she recalled hearing that conversation. Krista was only at school in the mornings, so she has no knowledge of what transpired in the afternoon, despite what others might say. Brett and Alice spend some time here discussing their thoughts on Adnan asking for this ride and why. But that's all opinion stuff, and there's so much information in this episode that I'm going to try to stick to just the facts portion on this one. You can listen to that if you want to hear their opinion. They next point out that Don clocked into LensCrafters at 9.02 p.m. That's obviously a hot topic and definitely up for debate, but today's not the day for that conversation. But don't worry, we'll get into it later. At 9.15 a.m., Adnan gives Stephanie the stuffed reindeer for her birthday and then at 10.45 a.m., Adnan calls Jay. We see that in his call record. Brett, as an aside here, mentions that all of the locations in this case are pretty close together, and that's actually something that I think is worth taking a minute to clarify because I don't think a lot of people understand this. The only reason that the cell phone tower locations matter at all in this case is because they, depending on your point of view, either corroborate Jay's story, sort of, or they are the basis for the creation of Jay's stories. But in reality, and no one ever talks about this, cell phone locations in this area, in my opinion, are pretty worthless. Let me tell you what I mean. If you take Woodlawn High School as the center point on a map, with the exception of Christie's House and Patapsco State Park, which are way further south, all of the locations that are relevant to this case are inside about a two-mile radius of the high school. Two miles. I was shocked when I visited Baltimore and drove to all these locations. Hayes' body was buried two miles from the high school, literally right down the road. And when you look at the tower locations and their coverage, they all overlap. There's actually four different towers that cover the burial location, all overlapping. And I hate it when people refer to the Leakin Park Tower. Yes, the tower itself is located at the north edge of Leakin Park, but it's not there just to cover Leakin Park, as people seem to think. In fact, the range of that sector covers a great big area beyond the park. Like, the entire Edmondson Avenue Strip is covered by the Leakin Park Tower. Patrick's House is covered by the Leakin Park Tower. Gas stations, restaurants, ice cream shops, grocery stores, and I don't know, 100 houses are all covered by that tower, by that sector of that tower. All of these towers are located about a mile and a half to two miles apart from each other, and they all have a general range of two to five miles. Using cell tower data to track locations works in places like the Coachella Valley from our Season 12. The towers are spread out and have huge coverage areas, especially in the more rural parts. But in this area, in Baltimore, the towers are all right on top of each other. You could be standing in one place and it would be reasonable to think that you could hit four to six different towers from that location. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out since Brett mentions it here. Were it not for Jay saying that he and Ednan were burying the body in Lincoln Park when the calls came in during the 7 o'clock hour, those pings wouldn't mean anything. They could have been buying drugs from Patrick or from a corner seller on Edmondson Avenue. And you could be hitting the exact same tower in the exact same sector. Now back to the timeline. So Adnan calls Jay at 10.45 a.m. That's a minute and 24-second call. Adnan says this is the call where he's checking to see if Jay got a gift for Stephanie. And so Adnan's school schedule leaves him about two hours of free time here. He has lunch from 10.45 to 11.15. And from 11.15 to 12.50, he has a free period. So it's during this time that Adnan leaves to go pick up Jay. Now, there's a discrepancy here. Brett says that Adnan picks up Jay at his house goes to the mall with him to get Stephanie a gift, and then Jay drops Adnan back off at school. Now, there are about a million versions of what happens next, obviously, but the discrepancy that I want to point out, more of a clarification, really, is that Adnan did not say that he went to the mall with Jay. He's never said that. He just said he gave Jay his car at that point so Jay could get the gift, Jay drops him back off, and was supposed to pick Adnan up after track practice. It's in some of Jay's stories that he and Adnan go to the mall, shop for a gift, and then he drops Adnan back at school. The reason I think it's worth clarifying this is because it paints a very strange picture if Adnan said that the purpose for giving Jay the car was to buy the gift. Then they go buy the gift, and then he gives Jay the car. But to be clear, while it is stated as fact in this episode, that is not what Adnan said happened. Moving on, Brett mentions Becky here. He says that Becky saw Hay at lunch and she seemed distracted. She asked Hay what was going on and Hay said she was just thinking about Don. And I should also clarify here that last week I said something to the effect that Hay was upset at lunch. That was an assumption and a poor choice of words on my part. What Becky said was that Hay was quiet and distracted. Now, Brett says that there's confusion about if Becky heard Adnan talking about the ride with Hay or if she just heard about it. But there's really no confusion here. I'm going to get much more into Becky's statement here in a bit, but she's very clear. She did not see Adnan at lunch. He wasn't at lunch. She said, quote, apparently he asked her for a ride earlier in the day. Now I want to be clear what I'm about to say here is just my speculation. It's not proven fact. But whether you think Adnan is guilty or innocent, the whole car in the shop thing seems to be like an unfortunate game of telephone to me. And please correct me if I'm wrong if there are other sources here. But the source of that being the reason for Adnan asking for a ride is Krista. And she is definitely not clear about it. She just overheard a conversation about asking for a ride. And she says she thinks it was either because his car was in the shop or because his brother had his car. No one else says, to my knowledge, that they actually heard Adnan say his car was in the shop. And no one says, hey, told them Adnan's car was in the shop. No one says that Adnan told them that his car was in the shop. From what I can see in this file, the only source of that is Krista saying she thinks he said that either his car was in the shop or his car was with his brother. And then from there, you have things like Becky saying she heard that, quote, apparently his car was in the shop. But that's just the rumor that was going around school at that point. So anyway... That's just interesting to me. I've never realized that. I thought that everyone knew that he had said that was the reason. But as it turns out, that was just a secondhand conversation that Krista overheard, that she wasn't certain about what she heard, and then it became the narrative. And again, if I'm wrong about that, if somebody else has a direct source, let me know and I'll be sure to correct that. But getting back to Becky, she also says that Adnan would get a ride after school from Hay all the time. But the ride was literally from the back of the school to the front of the school where the track was. Let me read to you from Becky's police interview notes. Quote, Adnan always in victim's car. Almost every day he would go to back parking lot and she would drive him around front so he could go to track practice. End quote. So here's the thing. Adnan would not need to make up a story about his car being in the shop to get Hay to give him a ride. According to Becky, she gave him a ride after school, quote, almost every day, end quote. And more on Becky later, but back to the timeline. So at 12.07 p.m., Adnan's phone calls Jen. So it seems like Jay has the phone at this point. Now here, Alice says this call pings a tower way further west than anywhere Jay would go. And I have to push back on that. She says that this tower is off to the west and must be an instance of the call being routed to a tower that's not the closest tower due to congestion on the network, which does happen. But the tower is only located about four miles from Woodlawn High School. Remember, all these locations are super duper close. My real pushback is that things are being stated as fact that are not actually fact. We don't know what's in the coverage area of that tower. Depending on topography, that tower could actually reach the high school, certainly the Security Square Mall, and about a thousand other locations. We can't say that Jay would never be in the coverage area of that tower. We have no idea where Jay went, or where Jay normally goes, or why Jay might be over there. But back to the timeline, Brett and Alice do point out that it's possible that Jay and Adnan were over in this area buying pot. But then Alice says that, quote, we do know that Adnan and Jay are together at this point. End quote. That is not true. We absolutely do not know that. In fact, personally, I highly doubt they were together still at this time. According to Adnan, there was no trip to the mall. He just drove to Jay's house, picked him up, and Jay dropped him back at school. I believe Adnan said that Jay dropped him back at school around 1130 a.m. All calls after that time appear to be Jay. Adnan didn't know Jen. He didn't know her phone number. So it's not like it would be programmed into his phone and could just be an accidental butt dial. It seems like it had to be Jay calling Jen. And in fact, he says that he was calling Jen. In Jay's first interview, he says that after he dropped Adnan off, he then went to Jen's. Jen, in her police interview, said that she had talked to Jay that morning and they had plans for her to drive to Jay's house after she got off work to pick him up and take him back to her house. But then he called her and left a message saying, never mind. He was going to go to her house, and he'll be there when she gets home. She says when she got home at around 12.30 or 1 o'clock, Jay was already at her house. And we know from her work records that Jen clocked out of work at 12.09 p.m. So this is a time that at least on its face is not relevant at all to the murder, meaning there's no reason to make anything up here. We have Jay saying after he dropped Adnan off, he went to Jen's. We have Jen saying that at some time before 12.30 or 1 when she got home, Jay called her to say that he was coming over. And we have two calls to Jen at 12.07 and 12.41. We have Jen's timesheet showing she indeed clocked out at 12.09. And we have Jen saying that Jay was at her house when she got home. We also have Jay saying that he was there before Jen. So this isn't just believing a statement. This is one of the few times where everything can be corroborated. So my conclusion is that by 12.07, Jay had already dropped Adnan back at the school. And he was alone in the car when he called Jen. I think that's the only thing that makes sense, and it's quite a stretch to conclude that Jay and Adnan are together at this point. But there's a reason to make that stretch. If you're trying to prove that Adnan is guilty, the plan had to be relayed to Jay at some point. Now, Jay gives two different versions of when that happened. One is the call the night before, the 18-second likely unanswered call. We can rule that one out. And the other is during this hour period where him and Adnan are hanging out at the mall. What's kind of a hard argument to make is that this whole conversation, the whole plan was developed when Adnan leaves school, picks up Jay, Jay takes him right back to the school, and then Jay goes on about a normal afternoon with Jen, and Adnan's back at school. So, what we're told in this episode is, quote, we know that Adnan and Jay are still together at this point, end quote. But the truth is, We definitely do not know that. And they continue on with this assumption that Jay and Adnan are still together. They point out that Adnan is not at the beginning of his last period class that started at 12.55pm. Again, they state as fact, Adnan is late for class because he's still out with Jay. Of course, there's no mention of the fact here that we see cell phone activity of that phone calling Jen, which most would think would be Jay, for an hour before that and Jen recalling that Jay was at her house when she got home between 12.30 and 1 p.m. So let me quickly share what these calls look like to me, based on the actual evidence we have in front of us. This is just my personal analysis. Jay drops Adnan off at school between 11.30 and noon. He then tries calling Jen at 12.07. She doesn't answer. He then heads over towards his grandmother's house. Doesn't have to be her house, just anywhere over on the east side of this small area, over by Leakin Park, actually. While over there, he calls Jen again at 1241. This call hits that tower to the east, the one that covers his grandma's house and kind of that whole area. Nowhere near the mall or Jay's house, but on the other side of town. To put this in perspective, Woodlawn is in the center of the map. Adnan goes to get Jay, which is to the west. So then Jay would drive back east, northeast actually, to get back to the school to drop Adnan off. And then the tower the phone is hitting 35 minutes later for this 1241 call to Jen hits a tower about three and a half miles to the east of the school. So if Adnan's with Jay for this whole time, he would have picked him up and then they would have drove right past the school all the way back to the opposite side of town where Jay again calls Jen with Adnan still in the car after they drove past the high school. And I'm sorry, in my book, that just doesn't add up. But back to what I think is going on here, after Jay drops Adnan off, He cruises over to the east side for fill-in-the-blank reason. I don't know. At 12.41, he calls Jen's cell again. This call is about a minute and a half long. Now, if you believe anything Jen says, this would be the never mind picking me up, I'll just drive to your house call. Two minutes later, there's an unidentified incoming call for 24 seconds. Then the phone goes dark for about two hours. According to both Jen and Jay, this is when Jay is hanging out at Jen's house. They both say that he was already there when she got home from work no later than 1 p.m. At trial, Jay says that he shut the phone off during this period. Whether that's true or not, there were no calls in or out, so we wouldn't have any locations anyway. Now, if Jen clocks out at 12.09, she gets home no later than 1 p.m., and Jay is at her house waiting for her, someone please explain to me how Jay has not dropped Adnan back off at school yet at 1 p.m. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. All right, this is taking way longer than I planned. I'm definitely not going to come in under their time. I'm going to try to limit my rabbit hole dives, but there's just so much misinformation here. It seems like every time I hear a paragraph, I spend two hours researching something. So Brett says that Adnan says that he got back to school at 1.10 p.m., but it was actually 1.27 p.m. Now, I know where 1.27 comes from. That's written in the teacher's notes at the top of the page. It says Adnan was late, arrived at 1.27 p.m. I have no idea where he's coming up with Adnan says he's back at 110. If you find that, please share it with me and I'll correct myself, but I don't know where he's getting that from. Because Adnan, to my knowledge, has never said that. I'd have to re-listen to Serial to be sure, and hopefully the source for this isn't an interview from 15 years later, but I have in my old notes that I dug up that Adnan had said he recalled be being late to class because he stopped by the guidance counselor's office to ask for a letter of recommendation for college the letter many people believe he was then picking up after school on that same day. But just know, unless someone can cite a source to me, in which case I'm happy to admit that I'm wrong, Adnan has never said he got back to school at 1.10 p.m. Next they go on and they speculate about the possibility of Adnan having a second cell phone. There's literally zero evidence to support this. I'm not going to waste any time here on it. At 2.15 p.m., the bell rings for the end of the day. At 2.30, Asia says she sees Adnan in the library. At 2.36 p.m., we have the call that the state says is the come-and-get-me call from Best Buy. Now, at this point, no one believes this is that call. It's a five-second incoming call. Based on my knowledge of how cell records work, this call was not even answered. Like I mentioned last week, the billing begins the moment that the phone connects and starts ringing, and each ring accounts for about five seconds. And that's important because recently people have tried to pivot this call into Adnan calling Jay to tell him to head to Best Buy. The reason that they're now saying this will become apparent later. But the reality is, this was likely not even an answered call. There'd be no time. Even if Jay answered the call halfway through the first ring, there'd be a total of two seconds to talk. And that has to include the time that it would take to put the phone up to your ear after hitting the answer button and the time it takes to lower the phone and press the end button. Remember, Adnan's phone is not a flip phone. It's one of those old Nokia phones. You can't just close it. You have to press the end button and press the answer button. There's not even enough time to say hello. And, by the way, Brett and Alice agree that this was absolutely not the come-get-me call. Now, this call pings a sector that covers Jen's house. They conclude Jay was probably at Jen's house when this call came in, and I agree that's the most likely conclusion. Moving on, at 2.40, Asia and her boyfriend leave the library, and she says Adnan is still there at that point. There obviously will be a much longer conversation about Asia in another episode, but really now that we know that the come-and-get-me call was not the 2.36 call, Asia's statement really isn't an alibi statement. Adnan could have been at the library at 2.40 and still left with hey 10 minutes later, so really I'm not going to spend a lot of time on Asia, other than the fact that I feel like they really attacked her character in later episodes, and i do have some pushback on that but as far as figuring out this timeline asia either does or doesn't account for a period of time that doesn't close the gap for adnan to be alibied but debbie is another story she told police that she saw adnan in the guidance counselor's office at around 2:45 p.m. her statement is a big problem for the state in the first trial she testifies that she does remember telling the police back a year before back when all this was happening that she saw Adnan in the guidance counselor's office after school. But in the second trial, Debbie gets amnesia and testifies that she doesn't remember saying that to the police, even though she did remember saying it just two weeks before the first trial, and even after she's confronted with the transcript of her saying it. She says she still doesn't remember. But if Debbie is remembering correctly, then it's hard to make an argument that Adnan's not innocent. She sees Adnan in the guidance counselor's office, And then she leaves, and she sees, hey, without Adnan, right before she leaves school around 3 p.m. And here is where I have a big problem with how things are presented. Like I said, Debbie's a big problem. First, Brett says that if Asia is right about Adnan being in the library at 240, then Debbie can't also be right. But that's not true. Maybe if you're looking at a watch and Adnan has to be at one place at exactly 240, and at the other place, at exactly 2.45, it might be a little rushed. But this is what Debbie actually said from her interview transcript. Quote, I'm positive just about then I saw Adnan that day before he went to practice. I spoke to him and a couple other kids, and then that was very short, though. It wasn't a long period of time we did that. And then probably about 2.45 we would left. End quote. Probably about does not mean Adnan couldn't have been there if he was in the library until 2.40. But this next part is what genuinely upsets me. In the last episode, Brett suggested that this interaction had to have happened on the 5th rather than the 13th, but that's easily disproven. I'll read the rest here in a couple minutes, but Debbie says that they talked about Adnan going to track practice, and there was no track practice on the 5th. But now in this episode, just a week later, Brett leaves the interaction on the 13th, but he tries to push it back to the middle of the school day. In this part, I'm sorry, it is not my intention to be critical of their work, just to share the full record so you can make your own decision. But this is just intellectually dishonest, and it's very clear why they don't quote Debbie in this section. They point out that Adnan said he was in the guidance counselor's office at 1245, which is convenient for this conversation. But earlier, they just said that Adnan says that Jay dropped him off and he got back to class at 1.10. But here they say 12.45, because they theorize that Debbie is confusing 12.45 with 2.45, and that she actually saw Adnan in the guidance counselor's office at 12.45. And they use a few tactics to try to convince you of this. First, it's just two hours, and quote, that's not that big of a deal to Debbie, end quote. And second, they don't mention that Becky says that Adnan says he was about to go to track practice. And third, Alice offers an aside that when she was in school, she really only remembered what happened before lunch or after lunch. So of course, this probably happened after lunch, not after school, because twelve forty-five and two forty-five are both after lunch. Then lastly, there's the convenience of now saying that Adnan said specifically twelve forty-five, which can easily be confused with 2.45. I have to say it, and some of you will be upset about this, but it needs to be said. Brett and Alice are 100% intentionally misleading you on this. This is not an accident. I don't see any other explanation. Let me read to you the things Debbie said directly from the transcript, the transcript that Brett and Alice have, and they chose not to share it with you. I already read the first part, that Debbie is positive that she saw Adnan there. Quote, before he went to practice. And no world is before he went to practice after lunch. But moving on, Ritz asks Debbie if she recalls the conversation that they had. She says, quote, very brief about school and him going to practice, end quote. She's not trying to recall a time here. She's recalling a conversation. She goes on to describe the interaction. Quote, inside the guidance area. We walked in the inaudible steps. It's a short area beside the offices and then the main secretary desk. We were in that area, end quote. Continuing, quote, He did have his track stuff with him, his gym bag, and I think, but I don't know where he came from, end quote. Then she describes his gym bag. She says it's either a Wilson or Adidas and it's black and large with handles. And here's the big part. From McGillivary, quote, In the guidance counselor's office, is there a policy that you need to sign in there prior to going to see a counselor? Debbie, no. If you go during the day, then you have to set up an appointment. But after school, it's a free-for-all. McGillivary, did you have an appointment with the counselor? Debbie, no. Now someone please tell me how you could read that interview and come away with the idea that the most likely time Debbie saw Adnan in the guidance office was during school after lunch. Nope. No way. In my opinion, Brett and Alice are too intelligent for that to have been a mistake. If you listen to this episode, I truly believe that you were intentionally misled. All right, now next I'm going to move on to the 315 call, and this is the big one. This is the first call that could possibly be the actual come get me call if Adnan is guilty. And I hate to keep harping on this, but this is a 20 second call. That's 20 seconds from the time the phone started ringing to the time Jay pressed the end button. Now, to be fair, I can't say this is impossible based on the duration of the call. In one version of his story, Jay says Adnan told him, "Quote the bitch is dead, come and get me, I'm at Best Buy." End quote. And you can say all of that in five seconds, so it's possible as far as the duration is concerned. If Jay picked it up after the first ring, that's all that was said. It is possible as far as the timing of the call there's another big problem. The cell records need Jay in order to matter, and Jay's stories need the cell evidence to be believed. But the two do not intersect with this being the come-and-get-me call. In no versions of their interviews with the police, not ever, does either Jay or Jen say that the come-and-get-me call occurred before 3.40 p.m. Never. I mean, this is absolutely bananas. Jay changes the locations of the trunk pop, the location of the murder, where he was going after the murder, when the body was buried. But one thing that he has never said is that Adnan called him to pick him up before 3:40 p.m. And this gets into the point where I said this case is far more simple than people make it out to be. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but in Brett's final conclusion of the series, he says that a basic believable story that fits with the cell evidence emerges. Where? Where is that story? Pick any statement. Just show me one time where there is actually evidence that even maybe this was the come-get-me call. There isn't any. Without any preconceived notions of guilt or innocence, think about this case. The accomplice in the case says that the call was supposed to come in by 3.30, but by 3.40, Adnan hadn't called yet. He noticed that time because he was late to call. Then he finally called after that. So, you see, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, clearly what that proves is that Jay called Adnan to pick him up at 3.15 on this 20-second phone call? What? Now, you can believe what you want, but what you can't do is claim that there is a single shred of evidence to support the idea that the come-get-me call was this call at 3.15. You literally just have to make up your own story for that to be the case, and it's in no way supported by the case file or even the trial testimony. Now, Brett does a pretty slick misdirect at this point. He says it's kind of confusing because Jay tells so many different versions of the story, and then he goes on about the places that Jay say he and Adnan went, all the trunk pop locations, the drive to Patapsco Park, etc. Then he talks about how easy it is to reconcile Jay saying that they watched the sunset over the cliffs before he took Adnan to track practice, when the sunset at 5.08 p.m. that day. Basically, sunset doesn't mean sunset. It could be close to sunset. So 5.08 moves to 5 o'clock to 4.30 or even 4 o'clock, which is the time Brett lands on for the time Jay is probably talking about when he says they watch the sun setting. I'll let you form your own opinions on that one. But go outside tonight or tomorrow and see what the sky looks like An hour and eight minutes before the scheduled sunset. I'll tell you what you're going to see. It doesn't look like the sun is setting at that point. But this is what I want you watching out for. I'm trying very hard not to argue about opinions. I want you to be looking at facts. I want you to realize how this is intentionally being presented to you in a way that's meant to confuse you and cause you to not catch the problems with the state's case. When we should be talking about when Jay said the call occurred, instead we're talking about sunsets. Ask yourself why is it important for the three fifteen p.m. call to be the come get me call? Why wouldn't Brett and Alice mention that Jay has always maintained that that call came after three forty? Why didn't they tell you that Jen told the police that Jay didn't leave her house until after three forty-five? Why would they not tell you all of that? if the goal is for you to come to an honest conclusion based on the facts. Well, there are several big reasons why they need that call to have come at 315, despite zero evidence to suggest that it did. The reasons are Debbie, Becky, Inez Butler, Coach Sy, and most importantly, Nisha. Now, I'm going to get into all of these things as Brett and Alice do. Note for now that Brett says right here in this episode that Adnan absolutely was at track practice that day. Just remember that for later. But in order to have any snowball's chance in hell of convincing you that Adnan is guilty, the prosecutors need the Nisha call. But the Nisha call happened at 3:32 p.m., so how could Adnan and Jay be together talking to Nisha at 3:32 if Jay didn't leave Jen's house before 3:45 and Adnan wasn't with him? We'll dig into that later, but not for nothing. The cell sector data also doesn't support, like, literally any of this. In both Jay and Jen's versions of the story, Jay is at Jen's when he gets the "Come Get Me" call, but neither the 3:15 call or the 345 call, connect to a tower that covers Jen's house. Hence why the prosecution used the 236 five-second call as the come-and-get-me call in their theory at trial. Because that call did connect to a tower that covered Jen's house. The state was in a real pickle here. The 345 call couldn't be the come-get-me call, because that for sure doesn't leave enough time for Adnan to even make an appearance at track practice. And the 315 call also really doesn't leave enough time which I'll get into next week, so they were left with the 2.36 call as the only possibility. It at least showed Jay could be at Jen's where he said he was when he got the call, even though that timeline is impossible for all the reasons we discussed a few minutes ago and have been broken down over the last several years. Truthfully, this period of time, from 2.45 p.m. to 4 o'clock, is where any amount of logic applied to this case makes it painfully obvious that Adnan could not have done this. Brett talks in the final episode about a basic believable story emerging. And I really wish he had shared what he thinks the basic believable story is. Because I sure as hell don't see it. Now as we creep towards the Nisha call, there's some more fudging going on to make more time. So Alice says that Hay was due to pick up her cousin at 3.20, which is an 11-minute drive from the school. But I don't know where she came up with that time. Maybe it's out there somewhere that I'm unaware of, and if so, again, I'm happy to be corrected. But what we've always heard is that Hay was due to pick up her cousin at 3.15, not 3.20. So why move the time back five minutes? Campfield Learning Center is northeast of Woodlawn in an 11-minute drive. Best Buy is west-southwest of Woodlawn. To get from the Best Buy to Campfield would be about a 15- or 16-minute drive which would mean that Hay would have to leave Best Buy if that's where she and Adnan had went before 3 o'clock to get her cousin on time. So the attack would have to start before that. And remember that if Adnan duped Hay into giving him that ride, then she was planning to take him back to school before picking up her cousin. And also, if the ride was a drive to Best Buy to sit and park and talk, then again, where does the conversation about picking up his car come in? See how quickly this all falls apart if you really actually look at the details? Everything is way too tight. So at least they slide the pickup time back by five minutes to try to fix that, to try to create more time. But here's something that's going to blow your mind. I spent about an hour today trying to figure out for sure that the pickup time was at 3.15 because that's what we heard in Serial and that's what we've always heard. And as I did more research on it, I don't think it was 3.15. I don't know where that came from. I don't know where 3.15 comes from at all. At trial, the prosecution actually says that Hay was supposed to pick up her cousin by 3 o'clock. And actually, what they say is that she was supposed to pick up her cousin and be home by 3 o'clock. But they don't say 3.15. They say 3 o'clock. But... That's the prosecution that also said the come-and-get-me call was at 2.36, so take that for what it's worth. But further researching, I found that Hay's brother Young was on Reddit a few years ago. He was on there and he was answering some questions and he was engaging in conversations. On Reddit, Young said that 3.15 is incorrect. That Hay was actually supposed to pick up her cousin at 3 o'clock. It was always 3 o'clock. Now I'll say we'll leave this up for debate, and I encourage you all to go do some research and see if you can find any information that backs up that 3.15 time, but based on what was said at trial and based on what Young Lee said on Reddit, Hay was supposed to pick up her cousin at 3, which really throws a big kink into all of this for the state. Now back into the episode, Brett and Alice move on next to the 3.21 p.m. call. This is a call to Jen's landline, which really fucks up everyone's statements. Jay and Jen both say Jay's still there until 3.45, but the phone isn't hitting a tower that connects to Jen's house. And now, at 3.21, he's calling Jen. So, I'm not sure what the theory is here. Jay gets the come-and-get-me call at 3.15, according to the call location, he's not at Jen's house, even though he says that's where he is. And then he calls Jen six minutes later, which needs to be, I don't know, about the time the trunk pop is happening. Alice says this call is confusing, and she's right. All of this is confusing, but it's only confusing if you're trying to fit a round peg into a square hole. If this was actually just another normal day, Jay wasn't involved in a murder, He was just screwing around with his buddy's car until he had to pick him up at practice. It's not confusing at all. Personally, I think Jay was at the mall shopping for Stephanie when all these calls happened, which would be consistent with the call locations. The Security Square Mall sits right smack in the middle of the coverage area for all these calls. But it's pretty interesting to hear Alice try to come up with reasons why this call occurred. Everything from Adnan had a second cell phone to Jay can't find Adnan, so he's calling Jen to see if Adnan called there despite the fact that Adnan would have no reason to know Jen's number, and why wouldn't he just call the cell phone and talk to Jay if he couldn't find him? Or maybe Jay called Jen looking for weed, right after leaving her house to go bury a body. They actually spend close to 10 minutes trying to explain away this call. We hear all the reasons why people might misremember things. We even get a lesson on how your eyes process images. Lots of hoops are jumped through to try to make this call work. Because again, it has to work because of the Nisha call. That's next week on Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com Design Created manages and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team. Pamela Westby, Kathy McAlaney, Courtney Wimberley, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kay yomnick and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod, and I can be found on social media at BobRuffTruth. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.